Good morning, Grace Chapel family, meeting here and in multiple locations. If you're looking at the stage on which I'm standing, you'll notice some different decorations. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, after giving the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, because we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we can stay faithful. I don't think he was talking about Super Mario, Pac-Man, and some ghost that's obviously not the Holy Ghost, and these mushroom people over here. I don't know what they are. This is a backdrop for the exciting Kids Week coming up this week, where the theme is Power Up. We'll talk a little bit about power this morning. My name is Paul Borthwick. I've been a member of Grace Chapel since my parents dragged me here when I was 15 years old, 1969. So I'm 50 years a member of Grace Chapel. Uh, I committed to my life to follow Jesus Christ on the Grace Chapel Youth Retreat. My life was dramatically transformed for global mission by going on a cross-cultural service trip like, the white, like some of the ones that were commissioned this morning. Uh, I met my wife here at Grace Chapel, married her 40 years ago at Grace Chapel, and uh, I served here as youth pastor, global outreach pastor, and now with my wife of 40 years, we serve an organization training leaders in other parts of the world. Now, my family name is uh, derived from Scotland. Both grandfathers were Scottish immigrants, uh, and grandfather Borthwick came from a place near Edinburgh called Midlothian. And in our family heritage, we would always joke about the fact that someday we were going to inherit the family castle. <laughs> because literally there is a Borthwick Castle in Edinburgh, Scotland, or outside of Edinburgh. And so when my brother was turning 50 a few years ago, I took him with me, and we went to see a Borthwick Castle. And uh, there it is. Okay, that's me, obviously. And that's the, it's now a destination hotel with rooms at uh, 300 pounds a night, I might add. But when we went there, we learned two very significant things. The first thing we learned, or we confirmed it actually, that we're not actually descended from Lord and Lady Borthwick or any Scottish royalty. <laughs> we learned that in the days of the feudal system, the serfs, that's not to be confused with Smurfs, those are those blue people, <laughs> the serfs took on the name of the Lord of the Manor. So the indentured slaves of the Lord Borthwick took on the Borthwick name. Basically what we learned was we're descended from the people who were behind Lord Borthwick's horse sweeping up. Um, <laughs> but the second thing we learned is that we had a lot of Borthwick blood relatives we didn't know we had. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about this morning. The family that you have that you might not know you have. Now, I'm not talking about blood relatives. I'm talking about our faith relatives, our blood of Jesus relatives, if you will. So take a trip with me and fasten your seatbelts, put up your tray tables in the upright and locked position. I'm going to take you for a trip around the world, reminding us that we belong to Jesus' global family. Let's start in Kenya, East Africa. A few years ago, about Iaku, yeah. I just said, good morning. I, just, I said, hello. I actually said, what's the news? <laughs> right? Um, now I'm all confused. All right, go ahead. Uh, 
we went to, we were going to Kenya to do some pastor resourcing in uh, Kibera. Kibera is generally regarded as the largest slum of Africa. It's huge. It's part of Nairobi. And a lot of violence had taken place there after the 2008 elections. But we were going doing some training with pastors on reconciliation and getting ready for the 2013 elections, I think it was. Anyhow, we were going there, and one of my colleagues said to me, I heard you're going to Kibera. Isn't it dangerous there? I said, well, yeah, but we're still going. They said, why? I said, well, I said, I have family in Kibera. They said, really? Thinking I had a cousin or a niece or nephew or something that was serving there as a missionary. I said, no, I have family in Kibera. They said, who? I said, well, I haven't met them yet, <laughs> but this is my family. All right? Now, I'm, in that picture, I'm on the right. <laughs> in case you couldn't distinguish me from the other members of the family. All right? But I reminded my brother out of Ephesians chapter 2 that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he didn't come just to reconcile us to God. He came to reconcile us to each other, to break down the dividing walls, to make us into, you ready for this? A new household, a new family. So this is my family, and some of my family lives in Kibera slums in Nairobi, Kenya. That's our family. Jesus came to make us, not biological, but spiritual family. And the, the message today is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have family in China, or Iran, or Colombia, South America, or Syria, and every other country on earth by the grace of God. In some places, our family is small, struggling, meeting in secret because of government or political or religious pressure. In some places, they're meeting in great cathedrals. In other places, like South Sudan, they might be meeting under a great shade tree. Worshiping Jesus together. In other places, our family is huge. In southern Nigeria, I visited a worship center that every first Friday of the month, they have an all-night prayer meeting and 500,000 people come to this prayer meeting. You see, we're not alone. We're part of a global family. And today I want to have us meet our global family so that we can celebrate so that we can learn from them and their example, and we can be challenged from their example. Because we're not alone. Now, I'm used to preaching more in an African context, so I like when people talk. You know what I mean? No, you don't, you're too quiet. <laughs> you know, just, you know, so turn to your neighbor and say, we're part of a global family. With enthusiasm, with enthusiasm, right? To frame our thinking, I want us to turn to Colossians. This is one of Paul's prison letters. He's writing it from prison to encourage people who are under the gun. They were living in a city called Colossae, which is now in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And early in the letter, he wants to help them lift their eyes out of their own hardships. And he reminds them, he says, verse 6, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world and changing lives everywhere, just as it changed yours that very first day you heard it and understood about God's great kindness to sinners. He's saying to them, celebrate. 
You're part of something bigger than your own personal suffering at that moment. Celebrate you're part of God's global family. And he continues to describe his own prison-bound circumstances. And he says it this way, verse 23 and 24. This gospel is the wonderful news that came to each of you now, and now it's spreading all over the world. And I, Paul, have the joy of telling it to others. But part of my work is to suffer for you. And I'm glad, for I'm helping to finish up the remainder of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. In other words, what he's saying to them is, listen, the gospel's going forward, but it's not going forward easily. It's going forward all over the world today, but it's not going forward easily or without opposition. So in this global context of bearing fruit yet through hardship, I want to introduce you to our global family with four statements and then conclude it with three reminders from them speaking to us. Now, I know that Pastor Brian usually has one main point in his sermons. I don't get to preach very often, so you're getting seven today, okay? <laughs> but it's better than having a sermon that's pointless. Okay, so anyhow, number one, we belong to a multicultural, multilingual, many languages, multinational family. Number two, we belong to a growing, serving, mobile family. We belong, number three, to a faith-filled, praying family. And number four, we belong to a rugged, sacrificial family. So let's look at them and unpack them a little bit one by one. First, we belong to a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, I added that in, multinational family. 70%, think of that number for a second, 70% of our Christian family lives in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. In other words, that's our global family. The people who follow Jesus Christ, 70% are in the countries that used to receive missionaries. And now they're the dominant force. What does that mean to you? If you look like me and you're from European heritage, we're in the minority. If you don't like people from other cultures and other countries, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know? And 70%, um, look at the word Africa. In 1900, the statisticians say that 9% of the people on the whole continent of Africa, and Africa is a continent, incidentally, not a country, there are more than 50 countries in Africa. So when you meet an African friend, don't say, what's the capital of Africa? <laughs> okay? Trust me, an elder asked me that at Grace Chapel once. Um, in the year 1900, 9% of Africa called itself followers of Jesus. Fast forward 100 years. By the year 2000, the estimate now is that 45% of Africa calls themselves followers of Jesus. All right? The missionaries, the missionaries who went and made all sorts of mistakes, but they laid down their lives, the fruit of their lives is now great. And Africa could be the largest Christian continent on earth as we speak. In Cairo, Egypt, where Grace Chapel has partners that we partner with for the spread of the gospel, 
Two churches every weekend have more than 5,000 Arabic-speaking worshipers of Jesus Christ. Now, Cairo is considered the intellectual headquarters of Islam, but God is not limited by geography. A church of 5,000, two churches of 5,000 meet there, part of our partners. Or the number 2,000. In around the world, the church worships sometimes on different days. In the, in the Muslim-dominated world, they oftentimes worship on Fridays because that's the holy day. In, in, in Nepal, they work, worship on Saturdays. And in many parts of the world, we worship on Sundays. On any given weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Jesus is being worshipped in more than 2,000 languages. That picture of the book of Acts that we've been looking at with all the different languages in Acts chapter 2, that's continuing and spreading all over the world. That's why I chose the word diversity. We as followers of Jesus Christ are part of the most multinational, multicultural, multi-ethnic religion in all of the great world religions. Jesus is Lord of the nations. The Lord reigns. And just one personal sort of opinion, I guess you could say. Outside of the time that Jesus actually walked the earth, I believe that we are living at perhaps the most exciting time in all of Christian history. Now, you might say, well, it's not the most exciting time in my life. No, but it's the most exciting time in all of Christian history. That's why we celebrate. It's an amazing time to be alive. So we belong to a multicultural, multilingual, multinational family. Second statement, we belong to a growing, serving, mobile family. Our family is a growing family. In 1969, when my parents joined Grace Chapel, we didn't know if the church had survived persecution in the People's Republic of China because of persecution in the 50s and 60s. Now, China is regarded as the largest cumulative population of Christ-following people of any country on earth. The gospel's gone forward in China, where the opposition sometimes has been great and is actually now again on the increase. China is estimated at 100 million. Some people say 150 million people. So we're part of a growing family. And maybe this week you've heard in the news a little bit about Iran. But I guarantee you, you didn't hear the fact that one of the top 10 growing churches in the world, followers of Jesus Christ, is the church in Iran. People turning to Jesus Christ out of secularism or out of disillusionment with the traditional religion. That's our family, even in Iran. Our family is a serving family. The, the, the Nepal um, the country of Nepal, northeast of India, used to be called the Hindu kingdom of Nepal. It was illegal to preach the gospel. It was illegal to convert. And there was only a scattering of Christians. Now that church is up over the hundreds of thousands, mostly because of the serving nature of the church, especially bring coming about after an earthquake. You might remember here at Grace Chapel, we did a, a, raised an offering to assist in that earthquake, April 2015. And the church responded in such a way to all people from all different backgrounds, regardless of religion or caste, their serving actually attracted people to the gospel. In Sri Lanka and Egypt, the same thing has happened in terms of serving, being willing to serve people who have been victimized by terrorism or serving people who have been wounded in Tahir Square during the Arab Spring. 
Uh, our partner church set up a medical clinic outside of Tahir Square, and they would take care of uh, Islamists, they would take care of police, they would take care of military, they would take care of revolutionaries if they were wounded in Jesus' name. And it changed everything in their witness in that city. And our church is a mobile family. God is using even the, even the migrations of peoples all over the earth to bring the gospel to new places. But the church around the world has caught the vision. It used to be that the United States was the greatest sender of missionaries, and it probably still is. But catching up is the country of South Korea, the country of Nigeria, the country of Brazil, the, country, the part of India in the south, sending missionaries from every nation to every nation. The redeemed Christian Church of God in Nigeria has sent missionaries out. They've planted 500 new churches. Do you know where? In the United States. I met a Nigerian person here at Grace Chapel one Sunday morning, Isaac. And Isaac said, uh, I said, are you an international student? He says, no. I said, are you here for some training in one of the companies? No. I said, why are you here, Isaac? My church in Nigeria has sent me to Boston as a missionary. He said, we know you need the gospel. And then he said, we have seen your movies. <laughs> Ouch. Right? But we are somebody else's ends of the earth. So to going to the ends of the earth is not just for white people going into the former colonies. It's for the whole gospel going out of the whole church to the whole world. And we're part of that mobile family. Professor Mark Knoll says it this way. This past week in Great Britain, which is arguably one of the largest historical missionary sending countries, there were at least 15,000 Christian foreign missionaries hard at work evangelizing the locals. And most of them were from Africa and Asia. In other words, we're part of this, this growing, serving, mobile family. Multicultural, multilingual, multinational, growing, serving, mobile. Third, we belong to a faith-filled, praying family. Several weeks ago when Pastor Brian spoke on Pentecost Sunday, he said we have now in the book of Acts launched us into the era of the Holy Spirit, which is where we are right now. Since Jesus ascended and before he comes back, we're living in this era of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you travel the world, you will get to see the fact that the Holy Spirit is still performing the things of the book of Acts. Even this week, when the kids club goes, or the kids week focuses on powering up, power is part of the book of Acts. In our traveling, we've actually seen powerful revivals happening in places. We've seen Christians, you know, being in prison and the doors of their prison opened. That's their testimony. Not back in the book of Acts, in Ethiopia. You know, we, we've actually even been in situations where someone testified about being raised from the dead. I actually was in Nigeria that this happened to me. They give you a, a older man, when you're an older man, they give you a young guy to carry your bag. It's a respect thing. So if it, Africa's a good place to grow old, <laughs> actually, because they will actually take care of you, right? And so he's carrying my bag. So finally on the third day, I said to him, so Samuel, how did you become a Christian? Oh, Brother Richard over there raised me from the dead. <laughs> Which 
made my youth pastor testimony about becoming a Christian on a youth retreat lame. All right? <laughs> so I thought maybe I should just make something up. My wife's a medical person and a scientist. She said, well, do you think he was really dead? I said, maybe he was just mostly dead, like Princess Bride, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said, I don't know, but it was a miracle. And you know where miracles and signs go off all over the place? In the Muslim world. Every testimony I've ever heard from a person raised in Islam and now a follower of Jesus Christ included a dream, a vision of Jesus, a healing, a miracle story. Because God wants these people to be in the family so much, he's initiating. And even it's interesting, in the Quran, Jesus is the only prophet that heals. Muhammad doesn't heal. So when Muslims are sick, they'll call out to the prophet Jesus. And they, he doesn't wait till they, till, till they can articulate the Trinity before he heals them. God's going ahead of us. We're part of that growing family, faith-filled, praying family. And as a side note here, if you have a Muslim coworker, a Hindu neighbor, somebody from another world religion in your midst, just pray for them to have a dream or a vision. And don't be creepy in your prayer. <laughs> you know, you, mean, you don't have to go up to them, in the name of Jesus, don't do that. <laughs> just quietly, Lord, I pray for Muhammad that you know, he will have a dream. And then ask him two months later, have you had any dreams of a man in a white robe? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's actually a missionary I met in North Africa. Goes house to house knocking on doors every, every month asking people if they've had a dream of a man in a white robe. Because that's how Jesus shows up. We're part of a faith-filled, praying family. And fourth, we're part of a rugged, sacrificial family. We're part of a rugged, sacrificial family. In many parts of the world, the testimony that they would give is the gospel's going forward, but it's not going forward easily. Take, me, take you back to Nigeria, where the 500,000 person prayer meeting happens in the south. You go into the northern part of Nigeria, every believer that I've met in northern Nigeria knows someone who has perished in some sort of religious violence because of their being, being followers of Jesus. So it's going forward in the south in one way and through suffering and hardship in the north. Or another story happened with Iran. Remember I told you that Iran's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And um, Pastor Brian and I were at a conference in South Africa in 2010. And at that conference in South Africa, we were talking, we were having coffee and we met this one guy. He works with a ministry that trains Iranian pastors. And I asked him, I said, are there any pastors here? He goes, oh, you want to meet one? I said, yeah, sure. So I met my first ever Iranian believer in Jesus Christ, Pastor Farshid. Pastor Farshid gave this glowing testimony of how he had come to know Jesus and how he was now planting churches in Tehran, his city. And it was just amazing, his overflowing testimony of God's goodness. Then we got the sobering news two months later, December 2010 that Pastor Farshid and all of his leaders had been taken into prison. And Pastor Farshid would languish there for six years because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Rugged, sacrificial faith. Even this past week, 
I was at a meeting from Afri for African leaders, and this one person gave her testimony about how she came to know Jesus Christ because he appeared to her in a dream. And she started following Jesus. And because she chose following Jesus over the dominant religion of her ethnic tribe, ethnic group, because of that, she was persecuted. She lost her marriage. She lost her children. She lost her home, and she lost her front teeth. They came and beat her. And she went through incredibly difficult times. But now she testifies, 10 years later. Her son is back with her and also professing Jesus Christ. And they are two of the only voices of the gospel going to their ethnic-specific group in West Africa. Rugged, sacrificial faith. Our family is multicultural. Our family is growing, serving, loving. Faith-filled and ruggedly sacrificial. I want you to know these inspiring characteristics because this is our family. This is the family that Jesus came to create. My brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters. When you look at a world map, map when you look at a world map, your family is in all those different countries, small or large. Let's never forget that. But assuming that that's a characteristic of our family, four things, now the three. Imagine that our family wants to speak to us. Christians living here in North America, what would they say to us? What does our global family want to say to us? The first thing they would say is, brothers and sisters, rejoice, celebrate with us. You know, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you moved from another part of the world or the United States, you moved to New England, and you found it to be the no, maybe not the most spiritually re revived area in the world. Can I get an amen to that? You know, it's, it's, it can be slow going here. It's a little bit opposed and you feel so d difficult with political correctness and everything else. He says, rejoice. You might be going through difficult times staying faithful, but God, that doesn't mean God's not at work. You might be called to be faithful now so that God can do the breakthrough later. That's the history of missions. In one conference I was at in Ghana, West Africa, the speakers, all of them Ghanaians, all of them leaders from Ghana, were challenging 400 university-aged students to consider global mission. And you know how they reminded them or how they exhorted them? They started by telling the story of the British missionaries who came in the 1800s to West Africa, and 60% of them died in the first two years. And they said those people came and they died to plant the seed of the gospel. So that now, our denomination, he was one pastor was a Pentecostal denomination, our denomination has missionaries in 70 countries. We're sending them because these people came and laid down their lives. Celebrate. Your faithfulness will bear fruit. That's what they would tell us. Your loyalty to Christ will bring other people to Christ. Stay faithful. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, celebrate. Or in the words of the song that was sung, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. A second statement they would tell us, join us in prayer. The first time I ever took a trip down to a conference in Cuba, Jose was my translator. And the thing that I remember most about Jose was at the end of the trip, he took my hand and he held it 
for a couple of seconds, a little bit longer, and he said, please, Hermano Paul, don't forget us. Don't forget us. You see, the most difficult thing with all the knowledge that we have is to forget the fact that when Zeran's in the news, we should pray for the pastors like Farshid. The most difficult thing with all the volumes of information is we might forget the people that we visited on a cross-cultural team even earlier this year. He says, don't forget us. And it reminded me of the writer of Hebrews, talking this way in Hebrews 13, verse 3. He says, continue to remember those in prison as if you are together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. In other words, it's my saying, my family is suffering in Syria. My family suffers in, in Kibera. My family, our family, suffers in places like China and Nepal where the government is cracking down and even in the great country of India. Remember them. Don't forget us. Stand with us in prayer. Remember Pastor Farshid in Iran? When we got word that Pastor Farshid had gone to prison, we brought that information to the middle school ministry of Grace Chapel. And the middle school ministry wrote over 100 letters to Pastor Farshid that was delivered to him by hand in prison to remind him that he wasn't forgotten. Years later, I had a privilege of talking actually with Pastor Farshid, and he remembered those letters that came. It's like a missionary couple, a partner from Grace Chapel that my wife and I visited in Mozambique, that's Southeast Africa, and they had just come out of a long civil war. It was a very, very difficult time in, uh, in Mozambique. And when I, we, my, we visited with this couple, we asked them, when we go back to the Grace Chapel family, what do you want us to tell them? They said, tell them 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11. And I didn't know the verses. I had to look it up. Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 1 about all of his hardships that he's going through. And then he says in verses 10 and 11, these words. God has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you, fellow family members, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. The family around the world is saying, there's so many Christians in North America, so many Christians in the United States, we know that they're standing with us. They're saying God's going to deliver us as our North American family stands with us in prayer. That's why if, if your campus has it, join or find out about the prayer partner teams that gather twice a month to pray specifically for our GC partners. Or, or just start praying regularly for the church around the world, even by maybe looking at the label of your clothes. One of my favorite things to do, where it says made in, right? I guarantee you there's a Christian suffering probably in the country that your clothes were made in. Or there's a Christian who could use some encouragement to pray for them. And if I could say it this way, when you pray for partners, pray intelligently. In other words, get some data behind your prayers. Don't just, you know, rub the globe in like Aladdin's lamp, you know, Lord bless the missionaries, <laughs> right? Get their name and find out how to pray for them. 
because they might be facing struggles. The number one way that God's workers are killed around the world, it's not terrorism. It's auto accidents. We're from Boston. We should know how to pray for that. <laughs> right? You know, and I remember one missionary, I asked him, he had come back. He was one of our former partners, now retired. Came back from East Africa. And, uh, and I was talking to him, and I said to him, what's the greatest thing that a church could say to you when you come home? He says, oh, when someone comes up to me and says, we've been praying for you every day. I said, that's awesome. I said, what's the most discouraging thing? He says, when they tell me what they're praying for. I said, what do you mean? Well, he says, I've been working in East Africa. And every time they say, we're praying for you to be protected from wild animals. <laughs> right? He says, Paul, we go on safari looking for wild animals. Right? And he says, for 20 years we've been in Kenya praying that on the next safari we could see a leopard. And we've never in 20 years seen a leopard. I said, that's because the people back home are praying. <laughs> right? You're saying, oh, Jesus, we want to see a leopard. Keep the leopards away, Lord. Keep the leopards. <laughs> Find out. You know the number one thing you pray for for missionary partners? Their own spiritual vitality. The same thing you'd pray for yourself. Faithfulness in the midst of hardship. Willingness to persevere in the face of difficulty. They tell us to celebrate. They tell us to, don't not, they tell us to pray and don't forget us. And third, they would tell us to join us in enlarging the family. They would tell us there are people coming here to the United States as doctors and as professionals from their countries that they said we could never reach in our own country, but you could reach them. There are intellectual students coming from international contexts that could go back and change their own countries if you would welcome them into your home. They would say, join us. There are still maybe two billion souls on planet Earth that have never been invited into Jesus' family. They said, look at your neighbors differently. Pray for your neighbors differently. Meet your Muslim coworker. Host your Hindu neighbor in your home. Reach out to that person who you know is just locked in secularism. Don't be afraid, but to reach out to them. Join us in enlarging the family. Look for opportunities. And if I could say it this way, Maybe you just want to breathe a prayer for people when you see them. How many of you ever shopped at Market Basket? Okay. I guarantee you could reach the nations just checking out. Right? And just you might not be able to pronounce the person's name. But one of my professors at seminary said, when you meet someone who seems to be maybe from, by head covering or beard or something, they might be from another world religion. You know what they said? Pray for that person. Because you might be praying for someone, get ready for this, who's never been prayed for before in Jesus' name. And they're in our midst. We didn't go to them, so God brought them to us. They say, join us in the task. This morning, I want you to celebrate and learn and be challenged by our global family to remember them, to remember that we're part of something greater than ourselves, even geographically, beyond our cultures, beyond our comfort zones, to join with them and anticipate what I call the ultimate family gathering. You ready for that? This summer, many of you will have some sort of family gathering, but this is the ultimate family gathering. I'm gonna invite you to stand up with me 
we're going to read a scriptural description of the ultimate family gathering. This is the long view. When time is completed, Jesus has come back. And if you see on the screen, Revelation 5, 9. It says, they sang, read together, a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And again, two chapters later, he describes it again. Again, read together. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. My brothers and sisters, my Christian family, let's celebrate the fact that God's gospel is spreading all over the world and growing. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, to see this amazing work that you're doing in the world. Sometimes we never get to hear about in the news. Open our hearts, Lord, to even see the opportunities right in our own midst. And open our lives, Lord, to be willing to go and do what you ask us to do so that every person on earth might be invited to that great ultimate family gathering. In Jesus' name, amen.